You're listening to Faith Assembly of God Online, a recording of our weekly service. Thanks for joining with us, a place where hope and reality converge. This morning we begin our Christmas series entitled Homecoming. This is home. I found where I belong. It, this, this season, of course, makes for great opportunities to go back home and to spend time with family. And I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And, and uh, how many of you were like my family that we got on the road and we went back home? We went to visit our family. And how many of you were like me and you went back home this Thanksgiving? You got to travel. How many of you, you were the home and everybody came to your house? You're the, uh, um, any of you celebrate Thanksgiving? Just want to... <laughs> We didn't like boycott that, did we? Okay, I'm just checking, making sure I didn't. Uh, all right, we, we were all good with that. So I'll be like, I did not go anywhere, nor did anyone come to me. I did. We had uh, the privilege of uh, going back home as we take opportunity. I, and I, I got to be honest with you, it is the place of our origin. But every time we come back to Fayette County, this is home. And, uh, but we go back to Gettysburg, that area, to visit family where both Jody and I grew up. And uh, while we were, we were there, um, it's always fun. I'm, I'm the kind of guy that likes walking down memory lane. I, I don't know. My dad was kind of that way, but I'm even more like that, my, my, uh, more than my dad, um, probably more than anybody else in my family. I'm, I'm the kind of guy that likes looking at where we've been and connecting that to where we are and just kind of dreaming and believing and looking to see where God's taking us from this moment. I'm, I'm the guy that likes going back, uh, walking down memory lane and talking about what used to be and, and uh, not, in a whole, not in a whole thing of, oh, we need to get back there, but in a way of thank God where we were and what he used in our lives to bring us where we are today. And um, one of those places, my uh, sister doesn't live too far uh, from Spring Grove, Pennsylvania, and that's where uh, my dad pastored one of his first churches, in fact, was in Spring Grove, Pennsylvania. And I took uh, our kids there, my sister's kids, and we went and visited this little country church uh, on a, uh, a stone road uh, on the backside of Spring Grove, Pennsylvania. In fact, it's a dead-end road. There's nothing there. There's hardly even a community there. There's nothing. But it was at this church uh, when I was uh, probably about seven years old or so that uh, Dad started pastoring this church, an independent, uh, independent church really was just about 20-some people that said, hey, let's make a church. And so they put all their money together and bought this building and started a church there in, uh, in Spring Grove. And, and we went back there, and I, I took the, the kids back to this place of, of, that was really, for me, was the first church that I ever sang in. Uh, it was a two-tiered stage, a small stage at the front of the sanctuary, and Dad would have me, ha- have me sing specials to the, the, the 20-some people in the congregation, with 80% of them were my family. So it was like, that was, it was our church, and, uh, but that's where I started, and the church would grow a little bit, and, and Dad would give me opportunities there. I remember in the basement of this church, we were having a pizza party, because my dad was cutting-edge kind of guy. I mean, he was a cutting-edge pastor, and so they had a pizza party in the church, and so we're downstairs having the pizza party. I'm a little kid, and we're about ready to eat pizza, but before the pizza, the pizza oven goes off that it's time to eat pizza, uh, the phone rings, and, and uh, the uh, foster agency had my dad's uh, home number. They had mom and dad's home number, and they had the church number, because 
if they need to get a hold of them. They got a phone call, and the phone call was we had to go home because there were some kids that needed a home, and then and the uh, agency needed a place for them to stay and, and asked, could my parents keep them? And so we left that church before we could eat the pizza, and we had to leave to go get these kids that were going to be waiting at our house. And I remember being in the basement of that window or that one, that place. In fact, it was that basement window right there. I, I distinctly remember looking out that window, looking up, and Dad was on the phone, and they said, we had to leave. I wanted to eat pizza. We had to leave because there were some kids that were going to be coming to our house because they needed a place to live. And those three boys are now my adopted brothers. That I remember it was in that basement that the first call came. That you, and there's these memories, these things. It was in the back side of this, this church, the back end there. There was a, there's a, a small nursery, and no one ever used the nursery. That's just where you walk through to get to the, the, the sanctuary down to the basement. But they called it the nursery. There was no nursery workers. There wasn't anybody in there. But there was a Sunday school class that we had, and one of the teachers didn't show up. And so since the teacher didn't show up, my dad said, hey, I need you to teach that Sunday school class. So at the age of 12, I preached my first message to Sunday school class right there in that small little country church. I preached out of Matthew. I remember preaching about do unto others as you would have them do unto you and how we need to live. I still remember that church where I just, I had dreams. I remember walking across the, the platform of that church that if you would go through that front door, it would take you onto the platform of that church or right beside it. I remember walking into that front door and going across the platform and as a little eight-year-old or so saying, God, one day I'm going to stand here and I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach to people. I'm going to tell them about Jesus Christ. I go back to that homecoming, to that place where I, where, I, where I grew up, and I look, you realize this church now, you say, oh, it's sad, the church is run down, it's boarded up, there's not even a church there, there's not even a community there, it's an old building, there's nothing there, but I want you to know what started and what happened on the inside of that church is much more than what we can ever measure because of what that building looks like, because that building like brick, like, brick, like wood, like everything else is going to decay, it's going to become like nothing, but what God God has put in the lives of his people, his presence dwelling on the inside of us. He does something far greater than we could ever measure or even imagine or what we could look at with our own eyes because God does something great in the places where we are. And sometimes it's good to go back and say, God, continue to do the work that you started in my life. You know, it's good to have those moments where we go back and say, God, the work that you've started, the things that you're starting in our lives, continue to do that in us. I, this next uh, couple weeks, we're going to be talking about the homecoming this Christmas season, talking about coming back to the place where we recognize and maybe returning to some things that we've left behind. You know, sometimes when you have the experiences and, and life happens and life happens around you, that sometimes it can be easy to, to either sometimes get off course or, or, or get so, uh, so caught up in other things that are going on and we just need to kind of have a moment where we come back to where it all began. Come back to, not, not to live there, but to just recognize again, this is what it's about. This is what our lives are and our walk with Jesus Christ coming back in, into that place. And this is my prayer over the next couple of weeks is that we would allow God intentionally to take our lives and just cause us to just be intertwined and just connected with his work and with his presence. Will you say, isn't that what we're supposed to do in the Christian walk every day? And the answer to that is yes, but we will never do what we don't have any intentions of doing. We will not accomplish just what we desire to do, but we have to be intentional to make that happen. And so our desire is to say over these next couple of weeks, we want to have an intent, be intentional to say, God, I, I, want, I want you to, to cause my life to, to, to just be evaluated and look and see where are some things that I need to return to, some things that I've left behind, some things I may have 
dropped along the way or some things I need to reevaluate, some things I need to put back in priority or put back in order. Sometimes when we know that we reach moments like that in life, here's what we tend to do. We tend to push ourselves away from getting to that place because we feel like we are failures. If we feel like we ever have to reevaluate or realign or rework or redo stuff in our lives, instead of leaning on the one who restores and finding hope on the one that restores, we allow condemnation to push us down and make us feel like we're failing or that we're not good enough or that we have missed the mark and we allow weight to come on us. Anyone else ever felt that way? Rather than appreciating the fact that, no, this is a healthy thing to have to reevaluate sometimes and say, hey, where do I need to pick up the pieces? Where do, I need to, where do I need to come back to some things that I've left behind? What are some things that I need, that I need to adjust in and some things I need to, need to reorganize or structure in my life? What are some homecomings that I need to have in my life? There's a story in Luke chapter 2 that's more than a story, but we know this this time of year. And in Luke chapter 2, I want to look at these verses, verses 1 to 7. And of course, it's the story about the birth of Jesus Christ and how it all began. And it all started with a homecoming. Here's what it says. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. At that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Cornelius was, was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph belonged to the house of David or was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancee, who was now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him in snugly, she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them in the inn. We know this story. We've heard it before. We know this, this whole thing that begun in the process. And it all began because of a homecoming that had to take place. Let me give you a preview of what we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks. We're going to start today talking about returning to where we belong. Day, or this, uh, this whole uh, process of Joseph going back to Bethlehem was because he belonged to the house of David. Next week, we're going to talk about returning to the promises, returning to the promise. Bethlehem was promised long ago that the child would be born there. And sometimes we go through life and we got to hold on to the promises. We're going to talk about holding on to the promises next week. On the, the third week, then, we're going to talk uh, about returning, uh, returning, uh, uh, of course, in, in our lives to our commitments because Joseph and Mary were pledged to be married. And the reason that Mary went along is because of the commitment, the the pledge that they had. And sometimes there's some commitments along the way that we've dropped or that we've left behind. And we're going to evaluate what it is, how we we maybe need to return to some commitments that we dropped. And then lastly, we're going to talk about returning to our hunger for God because Bethlehem is the, the house of bread and the house of bread is the presence of God, the substance that he provides and returning to a hunger and a passion and that desire for God. So over these next couple weeks, our desire is just saying to God, help us to come into alignment and help us to have a homecoming so that we line up with our hearts intentionally looking at saying, God, we want to be centered and focused on you. Is that okay? Is it okay if we do that over the next couple of weeks? I think it's a great time this Christmas season to do that. So would you stand with me? 
And what I want you to do is if we, you're with your family, maybe your husband, your wife, or your children are there, or, or maybe uh, uh, part of your family, whoever it is, would you just, would you, uh, if you're comfortable, take that, that family member by the hand, put your arm around them. But I want to pray over our homes this morning that as we begin this series, that God would help us to have a homecoming, to have that place of, of, of bringing ourselves and centering upon the word of God and what God desires in our hearts. Father, we are your people. And Lord, I thank you for this church at Faith Assembly. I thank you for this family that we gather with. And Lord, we're asking today that as we open this word together and as we look together, that God, your Holy Spirit would guide us and direct us. Lord, I pray that, Father, you would not help us to just form opinions, but God, I pray that your word would help us, oh God, to walk in obedience. God, that your word would help us, Lord, not to have a knowledge of what it says, but God, that it would inspire and stir our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would give us a willingness to walk steadfast in the truth of your word, that God, we might experience, Lord, what it is that you desire for us. So God, I pray that Lord whatever stands in the way give us grace to overcome it that we might come home Lord in our hearts Lord even as Colossians says making Christ at home in our hearts Father I pray that would be our desire the Lord there be a homecoming Lord, that your spirit would be at home, that your spirit would work in us. I pray your blessing on these families. I pray your blessing, God, on, on each home that is represented, that, Lord, this Christmas season, God, would be, would be just made rich with your, with your blessing and with your provision as we trust you, as we intentionally evaluate and look at our hearts today. And, Lord, over this month, asking, God, that you would help us to line up with what it is you have. Lord, give us strength as we take this journey together, as we travel on this homecoming together, we pray. In Jesus' name, and every traveler said, amen. 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 You may be seated. Obviously, this whole thing of traveling for Joseph was because he belonged somewhere other than Galilee where he was or in Nazareth. He belonged in Bethlehem. Have you ever been somewhere and as you were somewhere you felt out of place or felt like you didn't fit in? Anybody, maybe you can relate to this. Take, take a look at this uh, video as we begin this part here today talking about returning to where we belong. Passion fruit spray? Fruit spray? Sure. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Where's the snow? Why are you smiling like that? I just like to smile. Smiling's my favorite. Make work your favorite. That's your favorite, okay? Okay. Work is your new favorite. Fine. It's time for the announcement. Okay. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! I know him. I know him. 
He'll be here to take pictures with all the children. Yeah. Just keep your receipts. 10 a.m. tomorrow. 10 a.m. tomorrow. Santa's coming to town. Yes. Can you sign this one? Oh, hi. Santa's coming. I'm not messing with you. It's just nice to meet another human who shares my affinity for elf culture. I'm just trying to get through the holidays. Get through? Christmas is the greatest day in the whole white world. Please stop talking to me. Uh-oh. Sounds like someone needs to sing a Christmas carol. No way. Best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Thanks, but I don't sing. Oh, it's easy. It's just like talking. Except louder and longer and you move your voice up and down. I can sing, but I just choose not to sing. Especially in front of other people. Well, if you sing alone, you can sing in front of other people. There's no difference. Actually, there's a big difference. No, th no, there isn't. Wait. I'm singing. I'm in a store and I'm singing. I'm in a store and I'm singing. Hey! There's no singing in the North Pole. Yes, there is. No, it's not. We sing all the time. No, it's not. Especially when we make toys. Sometimes there are those moments that when you don't fit in, that you feel out of place. Obviously, if you've not seen that, that movie, this guy who thought he really was an elf and this whole thing. And, you know, in our lives, we live in a world that, we've got to be honest, we don't fit in here. There's a tension sometimes because we don't fit into this world that's around us. And the danger is that we sometimes try to make ourselves fit in and we miss what it is, the power of living in the Holy Spirit and the power that God has given us. I, I believe this, that, that as we live according to the Holy Spirit, on the day of Pentecost when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says they spoke the language of the people. See, I believe that when you are filled with the power of God, it doesn't mean to be filled with power of the God. To be filled with the power of God means that we have to isolate ourselves from people who don't know Christ. I believe it empowers us so that we can speak relevantly and powerfully to people who don't know Christ so that we might speak their language and communicate the love of Jesus Christ in a clear and way that the Holy Spirit enables us and allows us to speak clearly and able to speak a language that may be their own. But according to Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. Not even sin itself. Do you realize the world has not invented new ways to sin? The world has been sinning the way the world has always been sinning. It's just that there's been reformation, there's been revolution, there's been change, and there's been a remake and a renewal of societies and of people. But unfortunately, even after the renewal, there's still a period of time that sometimes reverts and goes back to a sinful way. It's not that sin is greater or that sin is new or that we're inventing new ways to sin. No, sin has always been there. Study Roman culture. Ugh. They were pretty evil people. I mean, the kings and the things that would take place, we have not, it's not that the world is, is worse off than it's ever been. It's worse than it's been since we've been here. But the power of God is not any less greater in, in this world. Now, we know that without a doubt, the Bible says in the last days that people will become lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Do you think it's played out in our, in our culture? Do you think it's where we are? It's absolutely where we are. We are in that time and in, in that place, and we need a homecoming. You see, every single one of us are looking for a place to belong. 
You see, you want someone to love you not because of your gifts, your skills, your abilities. You want someone to love you so that you can just be vulnerable and be real and just be you. And no matter who you are, they will still love you. But the unfortunate thing is that we have convinced ourselves that we have to perform, that we have to, we have to uh, operate in such a way to make somebody love us. And that's carried over in our relationship with Christ. That we carry a weight that it's our job to be lovable. No, it's not our job to be lovable. It's our job to love. Because when you love, you can't help but be lovable in return. It's not our job to create ourselves in such a place or to be what people want us to be that you know we're, we're, this isn't the uh the the place for this topic or this conversation but young people let me encourage you don't make a list of all the people you date in your life because all that means is here's all the people i performed for and i made who they wanted me to be and i never lived my teenage years being who christ wanted me to be because i've always been what everybody else thought i ought to be and so i never knew what it was to really be me and really love jesus because i've just lived a life of trying to meet everybody else's standards. And so then when I do come to a place to get married, I'm so crazy in my mind, I don't know which person to be because I've been what everybody else wants me to be and I'm not sure who to be right now because I've not been who Christ wants me to be. And in our lives, I don't have to, and and here's the great thing. As a pastor, can I tell you, this is so relieving. I don't have to perform for you. Boy, that takes a lot of pressure off. You say, well, you know what, Jason? That means if you don't do certain things certain ways, they might not love you a certain way. Well, then that's called manipulation if I try to live according to what people's... That's called manipulation. The Bible says manipulation is like witchcraft. Whoops. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. We might need to come back home to what it is to love and to be loved. To know that... and, And it's a scary thing to be so vulnerable for someone to love me because of who I really am. Isn't that a scary thing? Because someone said one time, they said, you know, it's hard to love, and I've said this before, it's sometimes hard to love people the more up close and personal you get. But here's the great news. Jesus knows you better than anybody else, and he still loves you more than anyone else will ever love you. It sort of sounded like good news when I said it, but I'm not sure it was good news when you heard it. (laughs) That Jesus knows me like no one else will ever know me and he still loves me like no one else will ever love me. That is good news. That he loves me for who I am, not because of my performance, not because of what I can do, not because of the show and dance, not because of my ability to obey his word, because in fact, my obedience doesn't make him love me more. My obedience is just the result of my love for him. And so my purpose in this whole homecoming is not to live my life trying to be lovable, but it's to live my life loving because when I love, being lovable is just the natural reaction. When I love my wife the way my wife needs to be loved, it can't help but make me lovable to her. And that is in my most humble opinion. (laughs) But when we have this, this perspective sometimes that we need to perform or trying to fit in. We try to meet other people's standards. We try to be what other people want to be, want us to be. But knowing that God loves us just the way we are. My dad used to tell me this way. He said, Jason, Jesus loves you just as you are. Because we would always sing that song, just as I am. He said to me, he said, that's a great song when you get there. 
But he said, it needs to be a new song afterwards. It's because Jesus loves you just the way you are, but he loves you enough not to leave you the way he found you. And so there's this side of it too. Yes, he loves me the way that I am, but he also loves me enough that his power works on the inside of me so he doesn't leave me the way he found me. He, he's working in me and perfecting and developing. And here's what I want you to know. You and I are, are, are a work in progress and God is still working on us. Somebody say amen. He's still walking with us and leading us. He's still developing us. Here's Joseph, and he had to go back to the house of David, to Bethlehem. He's in, he's in Nazareth, and he had to go pay taxes. How many know we're excited about paying taxes? Anybody excited about paying taxes? I mean, that's the exciting thing. You know, you get to look at your paycheck, and this much went out for taxes. Hallelujah. And I know you've, bought, you've, you've, you've been spiritual, right? You've read that. You said, Lord, what I could do for you if I didn't have to pay taxes. Lord, if what I could. We don't like to pay taxes. But imagine being Joseph. He not only had to pay taxes. It's announced that he has to pay taxes. But he had to travel three or four days to get to the place to pay the taxes. So now he has to incur the expense of taking his fiance or his bride-to-be who is pregnant with a child that is not his own but yet is and he's in this journey traveling three or four days to get to where he could pay taxes. Doesn't sound like a lot of fun. But this is why he had to go back home. And the whole, per- the whole reason he had to go back to Bethlehem is because that's where he belonged. He had to go to that place. Now, let me just take a couple minutes and take you on a little history lesson. Anybody like history? Anybody excited for a history lesson? Pull out your pen and paper. Here's a little bit of history lesson. And just follow this. And I wanted you to go, I want to take a look at where Bethlehem, how it occurred, what came about. You see, before there was ever Bethlehem for a place where Jesus was promised to be born and where Joseph had to go back, there was a place called Bethel. Bethel was first written up in Genesis chapter 28. In Genesis chapter 28, there is a man who is the great, 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 great. Great times 35. He's the great, great 35 times grandfather to this man named Joseph. His name is Jacob. Jacob is now in a place where he is running for his life from the place where he was. He's running for his life, and he's running for his life because he had just deceived his twin brother Esau. And he had taken his father's blessing. And he deceived his father. And now he's going, his father says, hey, go marry someone who's not from here. Your mother doesn't like these women. Go find another woman. It's what it says in the Bible that's... I'm serious. It's in the Bible. Read it. So in Genesis 28, he goes and he's running for his life. And as he's running along the way, as he travels, he comes to a place. And this place is called Luz. Everybody say Luz. He finds this place called Luz. And the reason it's called Luz is it means almond trees. It's the place of almond trees. And it was a great place for him to come along the way. He's tired. He's been traveling. So he comes to Luz. And while he's in Luz, the Bible says he stays there and spends the night. If you read this before, he took a pillow. It was really a rock. It wasn't really a pillow. Some people like pillows that way. Uh, my, my wife has an extra firm bed. I sleep in it too. It's the same one but she likes it really hard. I'm like, honey, this is a lot cheaper. Let's just go out in the woods and pick up a rock. We can lay on this tonight. (laughs) There's this, he lays his head down on a pillow. It's a rock. And then the next day, he, of course, as he's there, he has a a dream and encounter with God. You remember that story? You, You can read it in Genesis 28. And this is great history lesson. You can go back and read it. While he's there in this place called Luz, The Bible says he has an encounter with God. He wakes up. The the Bible says that a stairway in his dream was going from heaven to earth and there were angels coming up and down and God was giving him a blessing, say he was gonna make him great, that he'd have many descendants. How many are like, Lord, give me a dream. Send, Send angels up and down the stairway. I can't wait to see that blessing. 
But here's what I love, the verse 13 or so, it says in there, he says, I'll make you a great with descendants and all of that. He says, but more than this, more than this, I will be with you wherever you go. He says, I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna give you descendants. I'm gonna make you a rich person. Your, your, your children's children's children are gonna be blessed and you're gonna have great things. He says, but more than this. How many know we sometimes love the blessings and we miss the more than this because the more than this is that in every situation that God wants to take us to blessing, but there's a process in the, in the midst of where we are to where God's taking us that we gotta hold on and know that what God has given us greater than the blessing is his promise that says more than this, I will be with you wherever you go how many are thankful today that the Lord is with you no matter where you go that he's walking with you he won't leave us or forsake us here it is Jacob is now he wakes up and he has this scared moment he's like surely the presence of the Lord was in this place and I didn't even realize it he says this place ain't Luz anymore this place is now called Bethel everybody say Bethel now Luz of course means a place of almond trees Luz was good because he was running for his life and you wouldn't mind almond trees because they're pretty, they're, 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 they're enough to hide behind. I don't know if they were so great that they were like on the, uh, the local uh, uh, postcards that said, hey, for your next vacation, head to Luz. It's a, and maybe they had almond trees on there and, and uh, all the music or whatever. I don't know if it was that kind of place or not. But it was a good place for him to come because wherever there were trees meant it was closer to water. It meant there was shade and they were able to hide in it. If there's trees, you can hide. There's a place of shelter. There's a place of getting away. But this place of shelter that he hid in was now changed. He no longer called it Luz. He now called it Bethel, which means house of God, which follow me. He came into Luz as a refugee, but he left the same place in Bethel becoming a relative of Christ, of God. He came in one place as a refugee, but he left as a relative. It's one thing to make God your hiding place. It's another place to know who you are in Christ and to know that he has called you and covered you by his blood, that you belong to Christ. You see, you'll never experience the great things that God has for your life without first knowing who you belong to. You belong to God. You cannot live in a life of anything great happening in our lives until we know who we belong to. I love it this way. There's an evangelist years ago that uh, would travel to our church and preach. His red, his red, big red Dodge cargo van broke one day and left him on the side of the road. Dad had to go pick him up and bring him to church. And he got to church and a couple of people, oh, so sorry to hear about the van. And uh, his name's Tiff Shuttlesworth. You may have heard of him before. He's an evangelist. And I remember as a teenager hearing what he said to those folks. He said, he said really? He said, why in the world would you be so sad for me? They said, well, your, your van left you sitting on the side of the road. He said, that's great news. That, that van belongs to God, so his van broke. That means he's going to get me a new one. <laughs> I remember being a teenager here, and I'm like, man, that guy has attitude. That's pretty cool. <laughs> but isn't that, when we live in our lives, when we know who we belong to, we know he is faithful to care for us. Here it is now. He comes into this place, Bethel, and he has an encounter with God. He, and in fact, it's there where he gives his life to God. He says, he says, if you will walk with me, if you'll guide me, if you'll provide for me, then the God of my father will be my God too. So Jacob has an encounter, and he's there converted. He has a, he, he's come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know how old he is. You, know, you can look to see what that is. But here's a guy who grew up around his father's prayers, grew up around all the stuff, but it took until this part where he gets to Luz that he finally finds out that God is real and has an encounter with God. And his life is made new. He leaves that place called Bethel, and he leaves Bethel and he continues on, but God gave him a promise. And as he continues on to Bethel, you now have seven chapters that take place. Let me give you the picture of what happens after he leaves Bethel. He had a great encounter in Bethel, great things, good stuff. He leaves Bethel, and all of a sudden, as he gets there, 
into, into uh, after leaving Bethel, he got married four times to all the same ladies at the same time. The Bible doesn't condone those things. The Bible worked in the midst of, because some, you might read that and say, it's in the Bible. Why don't we still do that today? Because God did not approve of that, but God worked in their ignorance and in their foolishness like he still does today. His grace works in our ignorance and our foolishness. It doesn't condone our ignorance and our foolishness. It's the grace of God that works in the midst of our foolishness. He gets married, four different women at the same time, has children to all these women. How many know that will make your life crazy? I mean, four wives? I mean, literally, you can read it in there in, in uh, one of those chapters and it says, hey, no, he's with me tonight. No, he's with me tonight. No, okay, I'll give you some flowers. Okay, you can have him. <laughs> it's in the Bible. He went into a business partnership with his father-in-law. Number one, he went into business. Number two, it was with his father-in-law. Now, for me, that would be okay. My father-in-law is awesome. But you imagine life gets a little sticky when you start your business and it, difficult things happen. There's another chapter where he relocates his family. Now, he's got to move this entire tribe. I mean, not just family. He splits them up into two gatherings and groups, so he has to relocate everybody. How many are picturing now all of a sudden that Bethel moment of, wow, the heavens are open, and there's staircase, there's great things? It doesn't always feel like that the whole way through the next seven chapters. You following me? He gets to, we get to chapter 35, and before that, he's even reunited with his brother, the same brother that he was running for his life from. Uh, can you imagine? That was probably, I mean, for, for Jacob, that was one of those things of, uh, you know, send him lots of gifts. Make him, you know, try and satisfy him and send him lots of gifts. That way, by the time I get there, and don't forget to tell him these are from his brother, Jacob, who's coming behind. And pacify him. Make, him. make him feel good so that by the time I get there, he'll forget all the bad stuff I did. Jacob's going through all this stuff, this life that's happening. How many can relate? that you have those moments with God and in those moments of God's presence and the moments of God's doing, you leave those, that presence or you leave that place and life still happens around you. Anybody know that? God, you gave me a promise. You gave me a word. You said you're gonna do great things in my life. I'm committing myself to you. Here we go, God. This is gonna be great. Wow, God, this isn't quite going the way I thought it would go. And somehow we think God has missed his part or God's not doing his part. In reality, God is working and he's working in our lives because he made the promise the whole way, the whole time. He said, I will never leave you. You see, life happens and here we get to chapter 35. Chapter 35, verse, verse one to three says this. Then God said to Jacob, get ready and move to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob told everyone in his household, get rid of all your pagan idols, purify yourselves and put on clean, clean clothing. We are now going to Bethel where I will build an altar to the God who answered my prayers when I was in distress. He has been with me wherever I have gone. Jacob had this realization and this reality that God was with him no matter where he had gone. And in our lives, so, too many times we make the focus of our lives of making life better. When our focus is not to make life better, our focus is to know to whom we belong. Because when we know where, who we belong to, when 
we know who is in charge of our life, when we know that he loves us and we return that love to him, we know that he will, by nature of who he is, make things better in our lives. Though it may not happen at this moment, he'll use what was meant for evil and he'll turn it around for good. He'll take everything in our life and he'll produce something great in in our lives that no matter what those seven chapters hold for you, You might be in the midst of those seven chapters right now. You say, my relationships aren't what I thought they would be. Things in my life, the businesses aren't going the way I thought they would go. Situations aren't the way I thought it would be. And you feel as if you're in this place of wandering, this place of emptiness, this place of loneliness. But know this, that God is with you because Jacob had a realization that said, I'm going to make an offering or sacrifice to the God who has been with me. He heard my prayer in the time of distress and he is the God who has been with me ever since I left that place do you know you serve a God who is with you no matter what it is that you're facing somebody like well that just sounds like nice motivational preaching yay feel good it's called hope and if we ever lose hope God help us the hope is this that God will never leave me or forsake me the hope is this that he works in every situation and circumstance there is hope don't ever live your life and feel as if it's hopeless don't ever live your life and feel as if you're so far gone that there's no hope that can be restored or there's nothing that God can do no it's what life brings sometimes and sometimes life stinks in the midst of it sometimes it's difficult circumstances beyond your, your doing beyond your own control it's what you have no control of but you know the one to whom has all control of your life and you belong to him he is with me and when you have that realization it changes everything because i know who i belong to i know who i belong to let me ask you this morning do you know who you belong to jacob has this moment and god says go back to bethel and as he goes back to bethel here's what happens he goes back to bethel because he god had an encounter with god life happens for the next seven chapters he says, hey, we got to go back to Bethel. It's not a bad thing to have moments in your life where you say, you know what? Man, I, need to, I need to stop, and I need to recenter, refocus. I need to go back to Bethel. Have you ever had those moments? Have you ever had those moments where you've had to stop and just say, okay, God, I've been going, I've been doing, I'm here, but I need to stop, and I need to just focus on Bethel. And what I mean by that is the presence of God. Just focus on him. Because for some reason, something else has had your focus. Something else has your focus. And many times, what tends to have our focus is everybody else that we're trying to please or trying to make them love us. And we carry the burden of trying to be lovable when God says, you just love. And being lovable is what naturally comes after. Because when I know who I belong to, here's what God started The Bible says that he loved me first. We didn't love him. He loved us. He started this whole thing. He loved us first. And he loved me me with such an unconditional love that he looked at me and he came and he reached down and he rescued me from wherever I was. He set my my feet, took them from a miry clay and set them on a rock. He gave me a hope and a promise. And he didn't love me for what I was going to become. He loved me for who I was. But yet his hope and his promise produced something great in me that gave me something to look forward to. So I don't know where you are in those seven chapters after Bethel, but I want you to know there's something to look forward to because there's hope that God will bring and come alive. Let me tell you why. Because they go back to Bethel and the moment they come back to Bethel, 
The Bible says that they went a little further. And they went into a, a little further, just outside of Bethel, a place called Ephrath. And this place called Ephrath is where one last son was born to Jacob. Jacob had a difficulty in his life, and one last son was born to Rachel, Jacob's wife. And she, in her labor, had such trouble, the Bible says that she died. But before dying in her labor, she named that son Benomi. Jacob took that son and named him Benjamin. And Benjamin means the son of my right hand. Do you know what right hand means? Right hand means to be restored, to be made whole. And sometimes you gotta go through Bethel and sometimes the seven chapters and the things of where you are to allow God to work in you and bring you into a place of restoration because it doesn't matter where you are. We serve a God who still restores our soul. We serve a God that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. His rod and his staff, they comfort. He leads us. He prepares a table before us. He restores our soul, the Bible says in there, that he restores and he makes new and sometimes you're walking through these tough places and you're saying God where are you God where are you and instead of living knowing who you belong to you begin to hide and you begin to look at what all the other problems are and too many times instead of just setting our focus and saying God I'm going to hold on and I'm going to trust you we tend to look and try and figure out why God left and all the while God never went anywhere he's still where he's always been he's still just one arm reach away that he'll reach out and take his right hand and he'll restore and he'll put together, he'll bring together the pieces. He is a God who restores. That is the God we serve. He is not a God who condemns. He is a God who restores and makes whole and brings life where there would seem to be no life. You see, you might be going on a journey and the path is difficult. Don't give up on the Benjamin that God's about ready to birth in your life. That place of restoration, the son of my right hand. How many know in Bethlehem there was born a son who is the ultimate son of the right hand? How many know it's not a coincidence that Benjamin, the son of my right hand, was born in Bethlehem, what is now called Bethlehem, which was just outside of Bethel. It was the same place that the ultimate son of the right hand, Jesus Christ, was born on that Christmas day, and he came to restore men to God. He came to restore humankind. He came to restore us that we might have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I think it's pretty cool that when God says it's time to go back to Bethlehem, instead of saying, oh, but it's three or four journey three or four days away it's a long journey it's difficult and we might ought to just say God whatever it is I'm in I know that I've got to go back to this place but I'm trusting you because you're about ready to cause Benjamin to come alive in my life and you're going to reach out a right hand of restoration just like Peter and John when they were at the at the well or at the uh, the, the wall and they were praying or they're going to pray and there was a beggar sitting at the gate and he came along and he said he wanted money Peter said to him, silver and gold we don't have, but what we have we give you in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. And he reached out. The Bible says he grabbed him by the right hand. And how many know that when he picked him up, the Bible says that his, his legs that were had no motion, they had no mobility, all of a sudden he was restored because as he reached out, that's a picture of Jesus reaching out to the lame man sitting at the gate that's called beautiful at just the right time. God's going to come along and reach his right hand out and take you and pick you up to your feet and cause your life to be restored and made new because of the power of Jesus Christ. Is there anybody whose life has been restored and made new? Don't give up 
on hope. This is where we belong. That I know this, my God has been with me no matter where I am. You might say, I feel like God is nowhere near me. Don't let your feelings, don't let your feelings override your faith because we live by faith and not by sight. And this morning, I don't know where your walk, your relationship with God, but maybe you're not where you belong. Maybe there's been a distance and there's a gap there, but we serve a God who restores our soul. I don't know who it is, but I just sense there's a number of people that just need to be restored. You're doing, you're doing, you're doing. And unfortunately, we're living our lives trying to be lovable when we need to just stop and know that he loves us no matter what, in all things. His love changes everything. Some of you might say, this isn't good news, but I gotta tell you, you can't work hard enough to fix whatever problem you perceive in your life. And you say, man, I don't like hearing that because I wanna know I can fix it. No, but you can trust the one and know that he is with you and know that he'll never leave you or forsake you and you make it your purpose to just be where you belong in his presence. It's his presence. See, the Bible says this, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. To dwell in the house of the Lord. Some of you need to come back to Bethel. And just on the other side of Bethel, is Bethlehem. And that's where Benjamin was born. God's ready to give birth to restoration in your life. Do, do you hear that this morning? I hope that makes sense. That God wants to birth restoration in your life. He restores my soul. And the restoration is not what you can do, but the restoration is what he has already done by his work on the cross as we trust him. You see, sometimes we can't receive the love that God has for us because we're evaluating our love the same way we're evaluating the love we receive by the same way we perceive other people. We have sometimes set such a high standard for people that we don't really love them too well. We really are just good at criticizing and we can alienate ourselves and make it hard for us to receive the love that God has for us because we need to stop and just know that he is God, that he's in control. He loves us, and he is the God who restores our soul. Thanks for listening. Tune in again next week.